Hello and welcome to Hughes Views. We're now on episode eight of our podcast. So we've been going for just shy of two months now. Um, just a shout out to our sponsors, Amphibian Apparel, whatever the situation, home, streetwear and sports, there are no excuses. And KH Decorating, making your house a home. So, Al, we're going to obviously jump straight into the international break. Obviously, at the time of recording, England are set to play Poland this evening, and we've seen them play twice already in the last sort of week or so. So I guess the question to you is, um, how, how do you sort of rate England's performances uh, in the last week against San Marino and Albania? I think they're two opponents you'd expect England to, to win, um, home or away. You know, we should be getting 12 points out of 12 from those two games. And I don't see why, uh, you know, we couldn't beat Poland tonight. I know they're without Lewandowski and a couple of their bigger players uh, through COVID-19. So, you know, we're in a good position um, to play them as we'll ever be. Uh, you know, we've scored seven and we haven't conceded any in two games again. That's no disrespect to Albania and San Marino, but they're teams you would expect us to, you know, push to one side comfortably. And I think Poland are the threat, uh, you know, away from home. I think Poland and Hungary could be uh, potential banana skins. But, you know, Albania, Andorra, San Marino, who make up the group, um, you know, we should be getting max points from from all three of those. Yeah, I think I would agree with you on that as well, um, Al, to be honest. I think, yeah, no disrespect to, to the two nations we've already come up against, but Poland will be the test for us. And should we sweep Poland aside, all in all, we should probably be topping that group come the end of the qualifiers quite quite easily um do you think that will maybe change the way that we play tonight or is it just you know don't change what isn't sort of broken i'll probably keep the um the back four and the keeper the same you know pope's done hasn't done anything wrong and he's he's got two cliche sheets to his name so that'll do him the world of good um it's nice to see luke shaw back in england shirt and i think he's I've read a, a report and he said um you know i think he turned down um an england appearance uh, or he wasn't involved in a couple of camps um, and he said it was, you know, really testing time for him. So, so he's back now. And I don't even think he's fully fit, but, you know, an absolutely 100% fit Luke Shaw is probably one of the best left backs we've got. And that's no disrespect to Ben Chilwell because against San Marino, he was, it was all coming down that left side and he was putting a lot of crosses in. I just think Luke Shaw is a, a better all-rounder. And I think he's more solid. I like John Stones this season. I think him and Harry Maguire could be a good partnership, but, you know, we've got capable players. Um, Tyra Mings is there as well, and he's had a good season at Villa. Um, so I think, you know, all in all, defensively, we look pretty sound. I know, like we said just now, that Albania and San Marino aren't the biggest tests, and it would have been nice to see, had Lewandowski not picked up his knee injury, him against, you know, us. Uh, and it, uh, England aren't probably even full strength. You know, we're missing uh, Marcus Rashford, and a couple more to name a few. Um, I think if Harry Kane is firing all cylinders tonight, you know, we could see two or three goals tonight. And I'd like to see another clean sheet um, with the likes of Phil Foden and Sterling and Bellingham. You know, it's, it's really exciting uh, for England fans to come. We always say, you know, the next tournament will be our tournament. But there's no reason why we can't take the Euros by storm. There's not many countries I'd fear, maybe other than France or Germany on their day. Um I haven't been impressed by a couple of countries, but I know we'll come on to that shortly. Uh, Dan, do you reckon we'll win this group with ease? Yeah, I think I think we've uh, we've sort of got to, and I think you know the last couple of international tournaments that England have been involved in, 
uh, we sort of set ourselves a bit of a precedent now. We've got to sort of go and try and win it. Um, and I don't think it's too naive to suggest that we could go all the way. We've got a lot of superstars. We've got some up-and-coming players, and we've also got some sort of strength and experience as well with some of the older heads in the squad. So, um, you know, come come the uh, the Euros and uh it, this summer and obviously we'll we'll cover off what we think will happen in that in the coming months but in terms of the world cup you know some of our younger stars are only going to sort of flourish in in their respective leagues and they're going to be hopefully um the finished article by the time the world cup comes around so for me i i totally agree with you on luke Shaw. i think he's been a revelation both at club level um and in the last couple of games for england as well he, he seems to be um like a different player this year, which is really good to see. The only thing for me is maybe not against the opposition that we've sort of been handed uh, in the group, but, you know, against the bigger teams, I, I do think that maybe Maguire might struggle with pace. You know, you've only got a vision Mbappe going up against him and a one-on-one -on -one and dropping a shoulder and he's away. You know, Maguire's not going to be able to do anything. Um, whereas his positional play is strong, I just think he's got to release the ball a bit quicker. He's holding on to it a bit too long. And if he gets poached um, sort of on the halfway line or 40-odd yards out from goal, it's, you know, it's game over. So maybe he should be being a little bit more confident with his defensive partner and having a communication there to make sure we're okay. Um, and I think that that's the only thing that I could probably flag. Um, but you, you, you mentioned about teams that you weren't that impressed with the bigger sides. What, what, what teams were you touching on there, Al? Well, I think a couple of teams who really disappointed for me uh, in the last couple of weeks is Republic of Ireland for one. And I know, um, you know, we want all the home nations to do well, but I think they've lost two from two. To lose at home to Luxembourg, in my opinion, is a new low for the Irish. Uh, and I think the Irish FA have even come out and supported um, the manager. And he's not even been there that long. Uh, but, you know, you could see the way, the way they were playing. I would have Scotland and Wales ahead of Ireland at the moment in terms of strength. Uh, and the players that are on there, really, and that's no disrespect to Luxembourg, they should have been beating Luxembourg comfortably. Um, and you could see as the game was playing, the longer it was nil-nil, Luxembourg looked like they would nick it. Um, and their player, I think it's Gelson Fernandez, and he scored last night as well. And he scored, he took his goal well against Ireland, and that was job done. Uh, and Ireland didn't really, didn't really test Luxembourg, and and rightly so. They're bottom, and they put up a better fight against Serbia. Um, you know, they t I think they took the lead in that game as well. They just couldn't see the job through and they find themselves bottom in a league that looks quite tough anyway. You can't really see past Portugal and Serbia in that group. And Ireland have got it all to do now. I don't see them qualifying. Uh, another team that disappointed me uh, and I thought they would breeze their group was Spain. You know, they had to uh, rely on a last minute goal to beat Georgia. Uh, and they drew at home to Greece uh, and you know they have all the possession that they could want you know 70 plus percent possession they had in both the games but in a group with Sweden, Greece, Georgia and Kosovo I think you know 99.9% .9 of football fans would be nailing Spain to the top of that group but it's Sweden who have the 100% record and they haven't conceded any goals yet so they're doing you know they're doing their jobs jobs well and I think Spain They've got to start being a bit more clinical and, you know, they've always been known for this tick attack of football, especially, you know, the last maybe 10 to 15 years or so. 
Um, but that'll only work for so long. Uh, and maybe it was a fact that they couldn't break the teams down. But, you know, you'd expect them to be taking six points from uh, Greece and Georgia. Dan. Yeah, I think I would, I would agree with you there, Al. I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to say that... Would you say that Spain are in a little bit of a transition? Um, if you think of the Spain teams over the sort of last decade, you've got some real, you know, standout players, even if they were coming to the end of their career, you've got your Xavi's, Iniesta's, um, you know, Fernando Torres and that sort of thing, real household names. If you look at the Spain team now, at the back, I think they're fairly comfortable. Um, I must admit, I, I didn't catch their game, but I'm going to assume that Sergio Ramos was there. Um, you know, you've got players like Danny Carvajal at right back that's still playing. And then you've got just in front of them, probably Thiago Alcantara. But out, up front, I can't think off the top of my head of any big plate, like big strikers. I mean, is it Diego Costa first choice for them? Or, you know, yeah. that, that's where I think it might be a bit like, are, are they that big threat that they used to be you know if England had come up against Spain in recent years we'd all be expecting Spain to get the better of us but now I would expect it to be the other way around I think we would have we would have too much for a team like them and like you quite rightly mentioned I think if it came down to it um, there's very few that I fear but I think France is definitely the big one Um, but yeah like you know what is their start what is their start in uh, 11 is there anyone worth fearing there well when they played Georgia the two players that you mentioned Thiago Alcantara and Sergio Ramos they're both on the bench uh, they had Rodri on the bench Koke on the bench De Gea on the bench Gaia on the bench you know they're players who are, you know they should be starting and I think that Luis Enrique has undermined Georgia a little bit there and like I said the fact that it took a you know 90 second minute um, from a substitute Olmo to come off the bench and win it for them in the centre mid, you said about uh, Xavi and Iniesta and the likes. They have Busquets in the middle, who, you know, he's not um, a spring chicken. He, he's a, very much a veteran. They got have Morata up front. Ferran Torres, you know, they've both been in the goals. They've both been in the Champions League. That team that they put out, including Eric Garcia at Man City, you know, got, he's, he's only 20, but there's players there. They should have been able to get the job done against Georgia. Um, and, you know, to, to, to draw against Greece, they had um, probably a, a slightly stronger team. You know, the players who I mentioned who were on the bench, they, you know, the majority of them started apart from David De Gea. But Morata's still scoring then as well. Sweden are going to be the only threat in that group. Um, I, I, do you say it's a transitional period? I, I think even if it was, you should be beating Greece and Georgia. If that was England, and we put the likes of Calvin Phillips, James Ward-Prowse, um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, you'd be thinking we'll get the job done against Greece and Georgia, but Spain aren't. And I don't. I just think there's a little bit of naivety in there. I think you you're right. I think if we were to play Spain tomorrow, if we both put our full strength teams out, I think we beat them. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I mean, based off what you said, Al, I think it might just be a little bit of. Dis, you know, disillusion from the manager or thinking the manager can rotate heavily to get, you know, uh, to sort of see what the play, the players that are on the fringe can do. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the manager picks the team, but it's the players that are out there that should be doing the job. So, you know, we've always had this, this in this country at least, do, do players take uh, their club football more seriously than their international duty? I think, you know, in recent years we've seen proof of that 
you know, some some players will see it as a bit of a chore um, to go and represent the country, which I think is wrong. Uh, I think you should be, you know, you should be able to be proud to say that you're representing. But um, I think we may have come to the end of that now. I think there's a lot of players out there that seem to be quite proud to put the shirt on for us. So uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens. Obviously, we'll be expecting to win against Poland later on. The thing is about this, this it's the World Cup you're playing for. You know, if you're and if you are a fringe player and the manager's putting faith into you, you go out there and go, I want to be in the Euro squad for this season and I want to be in the World Cup squad for this whole qualifying campaign because it's only next year, the World Cup. So it's not like you can have, you know, four or five out of ten and go, oh, I'll play the next game. You know, because there's a lot of fixtures coming up with the Euros, with the World Cup, and, and it's, you know, it's a long, hard slog, at the, you know, the qualifying campaign. And these teams are no mugs. You know, Greece is saying, well, we've taken a point off of Spain. That's great. Sweet, like I say, Sweden, they've won two out of two. So I think even if, um, you know, if, if you are on the fringe, let's say, and you not you don't think, I don't think I'm in the starting 11, you've still got a tournament this summer and you've got a tournament next summer. You've still got to qualify for it. No one's going to hand you a ticket on a plate. Um, so, uh, but I think you do make a fair point. You know, it's um, it's a squad game, and you should be able, the manager should be able to pick whoever he likes. They're all Spanish internationals. They're all playing in the top leagues. I just think they really were disappointing. And Ireland, maybe they're in a different bracket. They probably don't have the wealth and the the pool that Spain can choose from. And that you could say that is a transitional thing because there's a new manager in there. But I would have still expected Ireland to. Um, to win against Luxembourg and I think they're as good as out now mate yeah they definitely got it all to do and like you mentioned I think we we would love for every home nation to be you know in the World Cup but it does look like it's not going to happen for them also I think you know you quite rightly mentioned that Wales and Scotland look a little stronger Wales are all, have always been second to us in terms of strength um, out of the four home nations so I would you know expect them to be okay um, Scotland are a bit touch and go, but they do have some quality coming through. You know, they've got Robertson, uh, John McGinn, they've got McTominay, they've got, you know, it's just they've always lacked up front. They've never really had a a decent striker. And, you know, I think Callum Patterson was playing for them up front not long ago. And I think Ollie McBurney is their other option, which again, it's not, it's not top level. You know, Ollie McBurney's playing in a, in a, we can't even get into a struggling Sheffield United starting eleven, and I think Callum Patterson is playing for Cardiff, if I'm not mistaken. They were in the Championship, so they they're lacking some goal threat. Um, should they get that, I think they'll be okay. But you know, like you say, you can't just pluck that sort of quality out of nowhere. So you you've mentioned the teams that you sort of were a di- bit disappointed with their results. Is there any teams that you know, given their position or the fact that they're not that big? as a country that have impressed you in the last sort of week with their results, or even if they haven't got the result, maybe their performances. So there's one who definitely fits that category that you say, who I didn't expect to be um, flying quite on all cylinders as they are. And that's Turkey. Uh, I watched their game against Norway and they absolutely tore them apart. And I was thinking I can see Sorloth and Haaland up front. Um, you know, you fancy if, if Haaland's up front for you, think, you know, we can get a goal. They did not get a sniff. Sunchu and the, and the gang there, they absolutely just tore them apart. Um, so they've beaten Nor- Norway 3-0, as I say. They beat Netherlands 4-2. Uh, and I think they were uh, 3-0 up in that game. 
Um, and Holland tried to have a fight back, but it wasn't enough. Uh, and they drew, which surprised me a little, they drew uh, home to Latvia last night. But, you know, they're sitting top with seven points. Holland, you know, they smashed Gibraltar last night, but um, I, they probably will come second. I think Norway are probably going to probably be third in that group. Montenegro, Latvia, Gibraltar make the teams up. But, you know, Turkey, they look really organised. Um, they don't give up. Uh, they just fought and fought and you know even against uh, Holland um, for them to go 3-0 up they could have I think it got back to 3-2 and they made it 4-2 but they look a real class outfit Um, another team who impressed me who perhaps don't fit in the category and I would expect them to do well um, was Belgium Um, so they're top of their group three games played and they've got seven points Um, I say they absolutely dismantled Belarus 8-0 last night um, the, the two Palace boys, Batshuayi and Benteke, are both coming amongst the goals. So hopefully we can carry that into the weekend. They beat Wales and they drew to the Czech Republic. So when you're looking at that group, um, Wales have they've got a game in hand on Czech Republic. But obviously they beat them last night. If I'm Belgium, I'm going. The only team who are going to threaten me here is going to be Czech Republic and and Wales, Belarus and Estonia. You know, the, sorry, but they're not going to they're not going to be up there. Belgium again. They're number one in the world, and that's. Do I think they're the best team in the world? Probably not, but that shows you that on their day, that team that they had, you know, De Bruyne, Lukaku, uh, the likes of Benteke, the likes of Batshuayi, everywhere you look on that pitch, they are class. Uh, even Trossard at Brighton scores his first goals for the country. Batongan, Aldevarel, Mignolet, Jeremy Doku, and even on the bench, they've got De Bruyne, Dendonka. Yanazai, Lukaku, Mertens, Tielemans, Castagna, you know, everywhere you look, that is class. Um, and I think they're going to be a team to look at in the Euros. Uh, they are the, in brackets, the golden generation. So it's about time that they put that to the test. Um, so yeah, Turkey and Belgium for me have been um, class. And, and you've got to give Southgate credit. England have been good as well. And they're two games that we, you know, we should have won. And as we said earlier, tonight's probably going to be the biggest test. And the away games against Poland and Hungary are going to be the ones to watch. But, um, yeah, Belgium and, and Turkey for me, Dan. Yeah, I think you're right with Belgium. I, I think they've definitely got strength and depth um, in abundance. And I, I did catch Trossard's goal um, in their recent game. And he's... Uh, he, he, took that really well it was some strike so there's a lot of players as well that you could argue that they could like you mentioned about Mishi and and Benteke they could come back at club level and sort of hit a run of form um I guess we could move on to the to the Premier League obviously we got that return in this weekend um which is good news for for everybody but who, who do you sort of fancy to, off the back of their sort of individual performances to come come into the team and sort of make a difference for, for their, you know, prospective clubs in the, in the Premier League? Well, Mitrovic scored, um, I think he scored two in two games for Serbia and, you know, Fulham are very much struggling down there. We know that they're in a dogfight. We cover it most weeks about the relegation battle. Um Fulham are absolutely desperate for points. Only two points off Newcastle, but Newcastle have the game in hand. Uh, but Newcastle, to me, they look like a, a team in free fall. If Mitrovic can replicate the form for Serbia, for Fulham, they're going to be very important goals. And with Josh Madger as well, um, it could be perfect timing for him to, to really flourish. 
another player who I've seen in training this week on his social media is Jack Grealish. Um, and that again, that's perfect time for Aston Villa because when Grealish plays and Grealish plays well, Aston Villa play well. Um, you only have to look at their um, recent results with without Jack Grealish. They haven't won since the 27th of February, which was away at Leeds. They've lost two. They've lost two, and they've won two since then. Um, so he could be absolute key. And uh, I've actually seen him in the press this week with Man City, a move linked. But that's because you know. If Aston Villa want to value him at £100 million, pounds, that doesn't mean that, you know, they, they, they don't want to sell him. It's the same as the uh, age-old story with Zaha and, uh, at Palace. You know, say he's he's not actually worth £100 million, but to Palace he is because we don't want to sell. And if you can uh, dictate, you know, a summer transfer like that, then Villa, you know, they don't want to lose him because the form speaks for itself without, without Grealish. Um, they don't win, but I think... Grealish and Mitrovic um, are going to be very, very important for their respective clubs over the next few weeks. Yeah, I think you're right. And I was going to touch on that, actually, the sort of rumour mill in relation to Grealish and the prospective move in the summer for that sort of money. I think you're right. I think that, you know, no, nobody else is a £100 million player, I'm afraid. You know, um, there's very, very, very few players that can sort of demand that sort of transfer fee and I'm talking about world-class players and I'm not saying Jack Grealish isn't world-class but he's definitely not a hundred million pound player um but you know Villa are quite within their rights to demand that sort of money and I think that if a team wants to pay that amount of money then it it will allow Villa to do a little bit of a rebuild um granted they would lose their superstar player but I think they would be a little bit more cautious and probably a bit more clever than um you know, we give credit for in terms of getting some heads in and getting some players in, do some good business, get sort of two marquees and a couple of young players for that that sort of money if they were to fetch it. And I think they would be OK. Um, you you sort of mentioned Zaha. I think the only reason I think from a from a Palace fans perspective, I think if we were to fetch that sort of money, I think that history dictates that we would be a little bit stupid with the decisions that we make in terms of the players that we bring in. You know, we've brought in some questionable players on high wages over the years. And I think the only good signing in the sort of last couple of windows has probably been Eze. Um, and I've sort of been watching the under-21s and he's been okay. Um, he's he's not really got the minutes that I would have expected him to. But again, the England under-21 setup is, is, is filled and packed with talent. So... I would expect him maybe not to be starting, but you know I, I would like to see him play as many as much as long as he can, and he doesn't even start for us at the moment, which is something I'm frustrated about. So, um, you know, we mentioned about Mishi and Benteke. You know, we've got Everton on Monday night with one of the last teams to play over the Easter weekend. Um, who starts for you, Al? Do you do you start one of them, or do you you know allow? Um, Mateta to come into the fold considering he's not in the international setup so he's been training with a team with the Palace team all week um, who, who do you sort of bring in I, I personally think that Hodgson's going to just go with Benteke myself but I would like to see Mateta get a run um, now because I don't want to tempt fate but I think we're there I think we're okay I think we'll be safe so I'd like to see him see what he can do and and hopefully trigger that that clause to get him on a permanent it's uh, it's tough, isn't it? Because you know what Hodgson's going to do. It is rare that he tinkers with a squad, and I think 
he picks Benteke for his defensive asset as well. Uh, he defends really well when we're defending corners. Um, and when the ball comes long, Benteke wins more than he loses in the air. So that can really spurn on a, an attack. Obviously, he's been, he's been scoring recently. Um, and he yeah, scored against Brighton and he scored against Spurs. He scores for Belgium midweek. He'll be riding a quest of a wave. And also, he's, remember, he's playing for a contract as well. Um, and that obviously leads a little bit into what Andros Townsend has come out and said today, saying that, you know, we're not being spoken to by the club. None of us are uh, about contracts and it's all going to wait to the end of the season. Is that a coy tactic from the Palace board? Or do you worry that a lot of players could potentially leave? I know Patrick van Aanholt was talking to uh, Champions League clubs overseas. Do you see like a mass clear out coming from Palace in the summer? I think there's a few players that definitely we, we need to get rid of. But I think it's quite naive from the club to to wait until the end of the season. You, you know, you run the risk of burning bridges with your players. And I know that they're coming to the end of their contract and it's a it's a it's a business at the end of the day. If you're a player and you're like Andros, for example, you know, my view is that it's probably time for us to let him go purely because I think that we could maybe, you know, cover the market and get a, a better winger to support Zahar should he stay. But, you know, we, we need to go back to that, that team that has two quick and tricky wingers on either side, because at the moment we've only got, a left winger in Zahar that plays up front, which he's not comfortable doing. And, and then obviously uh, he sticks Eze on the left and we all know that he's more comfortable at number 10. So we we need a little bit of movement from the board to get the get the conversations going. Uh, I wouldn't have an issue with Sacco leaving because I know he's a high earner. As you mentioned about Benteke, he's playing for a contract. But what I would say is that he's not necessarily playing for a contract with us, Howie. He's playing for, you know, to get in the the right eyes of other teams you know there's other clubs that are going to want to come and visit a player like that um it doesn't necessarily mean that he stays with us are they going to visit him for you know for his 100 grand plus a week that he's getting at the moment yeah well this is it warranted that especially over the last couple of seasons recently in the last six weeks you could say that what he's contributed you know max winning goals and his defensive assets you could argue that He's been one of Palace's better players recently, but for a player to earn a hundred grand a week, you'd be thinking, uh, you know, I want a goal a week or an assist a week, or to be a talisman like Zaha, um, and even the likes of what Gareth Bale is wanting, what three hundred grand a week Spurs are paying with Madrid picking the other half of the tab. I don't think he's earning his keep either. Um, I just want to go back a little bit, Dan, because you were saying about England under twenty ones. They're playing at the moment at time recording. They're bottom of the group, and Eze is part of that group. Do you think it's about time that A.D. Boothroyd stepped down from his position as under-21s manager? Yeah, I do wonder whether he's the right man for the job. And I only say that because we've got so much talent in that team. There's really no reason for us to be where we are. And I wonder whether it's because of how we're being set up. I didn't know. Eze's actually scored a penalty for England. Uh, <clears throat> leading Croatia 1-0. Uh, so Eze's, Eze's actually scored. But the players in this team, you've got Oliver Skip, Dwight McNeil, Eddie Nketiah, Tanganga, Ahrens, Ramsdale. So they're all, you know, premiership or championship players there. Yeah, Curtis Jones is playing as well. And he's, you know, break, broke through for, 
for Liverpool, and then you know on the bench you got the forgotten man, you know Ryan Sessegnon, you got Brewster, Todd Cantwell, those sort of players. I know it's easy for us to say because we watch them for you know the Premier League clubs, but that, that's a lot of talent. Al, I don't, you know, there's a few players in there that will probably grow to become regular England players in a couple of years. Curtis Jones is definitely moment, one for me. At the moment, I don't think any of them are going to get in that England squad where the likes of Foden has stepped up and Bellingham has stepped up. They warrant their places. And if they both... Foden will go to the Euros. I'm fully convinced of that. Bellingham, I think he's got a bit of competition in there with maybe the likes of Phillips, James Ward-Prowse. James Ward I think Mount will go. And we will do a Euro special for us, obviously. But I think the likes of Foden and Bellingham have really stepped up. Do you think the onus is on the England under-21s to step up, or has A.D. Boothroyd taken them as far as he can? Because he didn't do, he hasn't done that much, you know, in, in club management really. I know he's with Watford for a long time, but so, that aside, do England under-21s need a new leader? Or well, Southgate made that step up, didn't he? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, who who wants to manage a? You know, an under-21 side, you know, everybody's going to be setting their sights on a senior squad, um, which is probably why AD's got the job that he's got because of of his record in club football not being up to much. And, you know, that he's obviously jumped at the opportunity to, to manage the international side, even at that sort of under-21 level. I wonder, you know, who's available or who's going to come out and want to do that. Um, but it could do with a freshen up. Um, I, as I say, I've been watching a couple of their games, and for the, all of the talent that are, that's in that camp, it doesn't, you know, performing. yeah, it's. I, I, I think so as well. But you know, as you mentioned, obviously, time of recording, I've only just had a look as well. But Ebbs has obviously got his goal penalty or not, that'll do wonders for him. Um, he's only got a couple of goals for us as well this year. So what he has scored, though, I, you know, I can't take away from him. He scored a belter against Leeds, and he's scored a sort of 50-yard drive from against Sheffield United, if I'm not mistaken. So I want to see more from him. Um, and if Sahar is to leave the club at the end of the season or in the summer, Ebbs has got a... I don't think he needs to step up. I don't think that's the right way to say it, but I think he will be the talisman. He will automatically become that player for us. Um, and I think he's ready. I just want to see more from him. And I think Roy is a bit detrimental to, his, to it, the way that he produces at the moment so we need to maybe a bit of a shape up there as well all right let's end it on the premier league this weekend because we've gone back and forth a little um i'm gonna pick a banker for this weekend and i'll ask you to do the same um obviously i told you in the notes before recording that i think chelsea will sweep west brom aside chelsea haven't lost a match since january and they look really strong under tuchel um so i think chelsea will get the job done um, you know, very very comfortably against west brom and i think that will probably all but seal their fate. West Brom haven't kicked on. I thought that the introduction of Big Sam would sort of allow them to produce a little bit more fight, but it obviously hasn't worked out for them. And I think you're right. I think the two out of those three relegation places are already settled. Um, I would like to see Fulham get a result and see if they can sort of drag in Newcastle. So I'm going to, I'm, it's not necessarily a banker, but I'm going to back Fulham. I think Fulham will be my result of the weekend. Hopefully they can get the three points. Do you think it's too early, as we said about Grealish being the main man, do you think it's a bit too early for him to be expected to play 90 minutes in that game? Do you think he'll be on the bench? I think he'll be put on the bench just to, as a bit of a scaremongering tactic to, 
to, to Fulham to sort of, so they know that depending on how the game pans out, Villa can always call upon a player of Grealish's quality to come on. And even if he gives you 25 minutes or half an hour, you've always got that chance that he might be able to produce something. Um, I think it might be a bit of a stretch for him to start. And also I think Villa will be looking at it in a sense of, does, does he really need to start against Fulham? Um, he might be looking in, uh, forward um, to some of the more challenging fixtures that Villa have got coming up. All right, thanks very much, Dan. Obviously, we will review the uh, Premier League action next week. And obviously, next week is also the return of the Champions League. Um, looking ahead to Tuesday and Wednesday's fixtures. On Tuesday, it sees Man City Dortmund. I think that will be uh, a high-scoring tie over the two legs. And uh, Madrid host Liverpool. Uh, and again, that'll be a really interesting uh, matchup. And on the Wednesday, we've got Bayern, PSG, and Porto against Chelsea. I won't put you on the spot, Dan, because obviously your record hasn't been the best. But what tie out of those four do you think stands out the most? I like the idea of Liverpool and Real Madrid revisiting, to be honest with you. I think what we, we could do is, is see what our listeners think get some sort of views from you guys to see what sort of what what sort of games that you um you know are excited by and sort of try and get some let's try and get some score lines from our listeners and see what people think i think you're right man city and dortmund has got everything for a, a sort of score fest and you know I, I but i think liverpool and real madrid for me is probably the the one to watch what about yourself huh yeah, I will put it out to our listeners uh, and we'll do a, a spontaneous competition. We'll do a £10 Amazon voucher. If anyone can predict three or correct scores out of Man City, Dortmund, Madrid, Liverpool, Bayern, PSG, Porto, Chelsea, just the first leg results only. And yeah, if anyone gets three uh, as a £10 voucher and if everyone gets four out of four, well, 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 we will see. But yeah, if you get three right, we're going to do a £10 Amazon voucher. Get your scores in. Post us to uh, our Instagram channel or our Twitter channel uh, before next Tuesday. Let's guess your correct scores for the four fixtures before next Tuesday and uh, we'll pick a win if we get three. Or- yep, brilliant. Let's let's stop it there now. Um, yep. Thanks for everyone that's uh, continued support for Hugh's views over the last couple of months. And let's see how we get on with, uh, with those predictions. Thanks again, Al. Cheers, mate.